You're listening to Kitchen Table Finance. Join Dave Shotwell and Nick Nauta as they cut through the complexity of financial planning and serve bites of investment advice that are both personal and practical. Hey, Dave, how you doing today? Not bad, Nick. How are you? Doing well. Good. Snowing and uh, Michigan spring, but... Yep. Um, we have, uh, I think I saw 67 on the calendar, so better days ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, March in Michigan. You can turn up the heat and turn down the heat in the same day. Exactly. And that's and, and sometimes it's not in the order you'd expect. So uh, very true. <laughs> Love it. Love it. So um, we have, I don't know if exciting is the word that I would use, but uh, definitely a timely podcast about t- kind of some stuff of what's going on with the markets, what's going on, yeah. how Russia and the Ukraine conflict is affecting the markets. And we just wanted to kind of take some time today, touch base on um, our thoughts on that, and then what you should be doing proactively. And then we will end kind of with um, what steps you should be taking, what you should be thinking about as it relates to your personal financial plan. Kind of like uh, Michigan weather in spring, we're seeing the uh, market bounce all over the place with the news. As of this morning, the general market, as measured by the S&P 500, is down a little over 10% from January 1st. And so we're, we're in what's called correction territory. And uh, that's anytime the market's down 10% or more from its peak. And it's interesting because, we, you know, the, the market goes through these kind of cycles and it's fairly normal. But I think the, uh, the nature of a, an actual military conflict amongst some pretty important European countries kind of captures everybody's attention a little bit differently than than other events that can that can cause these kind of market turbulences. And you know, coming coupled at a time when we're also dealing with a lot of inflation at home already, and the main the main impact other than other than market movement on on Americans is is price of gas at the gas pump and that being inflationary as well kind of kind of catches everybody's attention right now just a lot of stuff going on a lot of stuff that we don't know exactly what the long lasting implement you know what the long lasting effects will be but certainly you know a lot of fear in the market and we're seeing the market bounce around and and one of the things that we like to do i know that you know you and i talked about this a couple weeks ago dave was one of the best things you can do when when you want to kind of understand is go back and see, you know, what's happened previously when we've had conflicts yeah. now. Yeah. Every conflict and every, you know, everything's a little bit different, but it at least helps right. us put it into perspective of kind of what to expect. The, the the general nature of these kind of events in the markets are is that the market has a lot of instability while the event is going on, but tends to recover fairly quickly. Or even if it doesn't recover, it at least reverts to what it was doing before the event, because the event doesn't usually impact macroeconomics and the true drivers of the market in the long run. So Vanguard provided a really nice chart that we've uh, stolen and posted on our website, but it kind of summarizes some of these events. And it's interesting because during the initial, you know, after the initial downturn from an event like this, the average market return after six months is plus 5%. And the average market return a year later is usually been plus 9% on average. And, you know, looking at some specific examples, one that 
One that I think maybe fits a little bit better than some of the others is the Iraq war in 2003. Market was down, you know, initially as, as, as there was fear of what the global impact would be. But six months later, it was plus 19%. And 12 months later, it was plus 27%. The Ukraine conflict in 2014, the market was plus 8%. Six months later, plus 12%. 12 months later. And I'm not predicting that we're going to have those kind of outsized returns, but the point is that, you know, the the initial impact was was kind of scary and, and turbulent, but the uh, long-term impact on the economy wasn't that big a deal. Yeah, and I, I think that's the important lesson here because when you think of it, you know, if you have a market downturn like we have, the initial reaction is, well, I should sell and get out of the market. The reality is usually that stuff comes back pretty quickly. And if right. you sell and get out, then you miss making that money back up. Yeah. And then you get into this whole ordeal of, can I time it right for when it's going to go back up? And yeah. nobody's been able to successfully do that. And so it's not only when to get out, but also when to get back in. And that right. is extremely hard to do. You know, just the last two, three weeks, we've had two days in the midst of, of what's generally a down market. We've had two days where the markets were up over 2%, almost 3%, depending on which index you wanted to look at mixed in there. So, you know, it, it, you come, you, you'll drive yourself crazy trying to pick the right day to get in, the right day to get out. It's never going to feel good. It's never going to feel right. You're better off just sitting down and grabbing both, you know, grab both hands of the, both, both sides of the lifeboat with your hands and just stay put. It's not easy, but that's 99% of the time, the right answer. Yeah. So, you know, it's always um, interesting. It's, it's, you know, nobody wants to lose money in investing and nobody likes to, you know, come in and, and see that their portfolio is down, you know, four, five, six, seven, creeping up on eight, nine, 10%. Yeah. However, one of the things that we've been walking through clients with as well is, you know, if you pull up how well we did last year, and we haven't even mm-hmm. given back all of those gains of 2021. No. So that at least yeah. makes you feel a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I know that's another strategy that we've been kind of bringing up with clients. But, you know, nobody likes to lose money per se. Yeah. That just goes back to that philosophy of you haven't really lost it until you sell. And so if you hold yeah. on and it comes back, you know, you should be made hold in, in some you know, yeah. short amount of time. So while you, while you were talking there, I just pulled up a chart of the S&P 500 for the last three years, which I think is a great little microcosm here because that's going to include this current downturn, but also includes what happened in March of 2020. Okay. So we've got, we've got some pretty scary times mixed in there. And if you just held and did nothing, and if you just bought the S&P 500 in March of 2019 and held it through today, you'd have a cumulative return positive of 63% over that time. And that works out to 10.4% annualized. So that the point of that isn't to diminish you know, what we're going through right now. It's to remind everybody you know, 10% downturns in the S&P 500 happen all the time, frequently. I, th- I believe I should pull out my copy of the Stock Traders Almanac. I want to say the statistics are on average over the life of the market, about once every 24 months, 18 to 24 months, it's somewhere in there. We have a 10% pullback and then the market marches on. 
And we've got a great chart on our website from the blog article we did on this same topic a few days ago. It shows, you know, nothing new. Most people have seen this chart, but it's the stock market since the Great Depression. And what you see is that, you know, the statistics as of Monday when we posted this were that $1,000 invested in 1928 would be worth almost a quarter million dollars through, you know, now. And along the way, you dealt with 1970s stagflation markets, Black Monday, the uh, tech crash, the financial crisis, the Vietnam War, the Cuban Missile Crisis, you name it. There was never like this magical time when there was nothing to worry about. But if you just held through all of that, everything continues on. Yeah, it's interesting because those are some, you know, serious major events. And when you are in them and experiencing them, Mm -hmm. they feel a whole lot different than when you give yourself five, 10, you know, and some of those, you know, 15, 20, 25 years Mm -hmm. between them. It's interesting because I read an article in the Wall Street Journal the other day, just about, you know, COVID and how we're going to forget most of it. And so, you know, when we were living in it, when we were the height of 2020 and everything shut down, it was this crazy event. And, you know, now, even now we kind of feel like, okay, that was, that was fine. It wasn't that big. It's a trick of the human brain that what you've lived through couldn't have been as bad as you imagined it was going to be. Right. Right. And so here we are looking forward and everything's scary and unknown and seems worse than things we've gone through in the past. But if, because yeah, we tend to have selective memories and just filter everything through the fact that it it couldn't have been as bad as we thought because we lived through it. And, you know, I I think I've brought this, this example up in other contexts before, but I think of my grandpa's stories about the great depression, you know, what he remembers from that is how close his sisters and he were because they had to help each other through that. Hmm. But he doesn't remember or doesn't, doesn't have the same like scary part scary sense, even though, you know, he didn't, wouldn't downplay how worried they were about where their next meal might come from. It wasn't the way he remembered it. It wasn't, that wasn't the important part. You know, that's just, that's just part of human psychology and behavioral finance experts will back that up that it's, we just tend to sanitize things in the past and worry more about the future than we should. Kind of to bring that around to how that relates to investing is when you're in it and you have those emotions, if you make changes or do things, that's when you can really harm yourself. And so some of the best advice is also the simplest, which is to just continue doing what you're doing but it's also some of the hardest to implement. Well, and, and we, we tell people this all the time, but you know, we didn't build any client portfolio expecting things like this weren't going to happen. We may not know the headlines, but we know we know that if you have three years in a row of 20% plus returns on the, on the general stock market, you're going to have 10% setbacks. That's just, that's just the way the market works. And we didn't design anybody's portfolio thinking that's not going to be the case. You know, you've got to, you've got to step back and remember why you hold some safe assets in the mix and why you're diversified and remind yourself that the definition of investing is to take short-term risk with the hope of long-term 
gain. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of, you know, almost, you know, the, the cost of doing business, if you will, um, when mm-hmm. it comes to investing yeah. where, you know, those things are going to happen and, and how to prevent them isn't doing things now. It was really probably doing things six months or a year ago or whenever you set right. up your portfolio. And we've talked on this podcast before about, you know, having an investment philosophy and sticking to it. And that's one of the big things, you know, we believe yeah. in long-term of investing and not to, you know, make decisions based on what's going on in the short term. And there's no further proof than kind of what we're going through right now. Right. Right. And, you know, and just part of that is knowing that the market's already accounting for everything that we know. So anything that we're doing is just guessing whether the market's priced everything in correctly. We can, we can guess that things are going to get better or we can guess that things are going to get worse, but we're really just guessing. And by the time it's reality and by the time it's in the news, the market will have moved before we've read the headlines. And that's true of anybody. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how fast and efficient the market is these days with information, you know, and you know, some of this stuff I'm sure was already somewhat priced in, maybe not to the degree, but, but there was, mm-hmm. you know, before the conflict even happened because of the, you know, because it might have happened. And, and right. Yeah, you know, it's just one of those things like we talked about. It's it's easy to talk about. It's hard to live through and do. And so if you're, mm-hmm. you know, worried, if you're, you know, thinking about things like that, you're just know that you're not alone. You know, we may make it sound easy, but I guarantee you with the clients that we've had and our own emotions involved in some of this stuff, you know, we both kind of lived through 2008. We're in the business and, you know, had days when we definitely questioned. I know I had days when I questioned my own sanity about, you know, is this thing really going to come back? And and that's just part of the part of the bargain. We'll just have to uh, see how it plays out. You know, we're not we're not saying don't do anything because you know we're indifferent we're saying it because it's it's almost always the right thing and this time despite the imaginative headlines you know that of a of a of a actual firefight hot war in europe it's not necessarily different from a macroeconomic standpoint and we just need to keep that context keep that context in mind. We've got a, along those lines, you know, about three years ago, I got tired of writing the same stuff over and over again for the, you know, the same kind of situation. And so we actually compiled all of those articles that we had done in the past into a booklet that we call the market volatility survival guide. And, you know, I, I looking back on it, it's, you know, some of the, some of the examples are so far back in memory that they seem a little, little hokey, but it, but the same premises hold true. Get ready for the biggest marketing summit in Lansing's history. Circle Friday, May 6, 2022 on your calendar. Zedia Media will be hosting the summit at the Royal Scott Banquet Facility. All the big bosses of marketing will be there, including key sponsors like M Connections, Super Web Pros, Uno Deuce Multimedia, Paper Image, Michigan Creative, Jungle Jane, and Weathervane Roofing. Tickets are on sale now at zediamedia.com. That's Z-E-E-D-I-A media.com. 17 presentations on marketing trends you need to know for your business. Big prizes, lots of fun. Your presence will be honored. Your absence will be noted.
Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it's funny things. A lot of the things change, but the general principles are, are still the same when it comes to yeah. a lot of this stuff. And, you know, for people who maybe haven't been investing this that long, maybe this is one of the first or, you know, first times they've experienced. And even for people who have been investing for a long time, it's always, you know, d- different stages of your life, you'll react differently to these things. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes people forget that, you know, if you're in your 20s and 30s and your whole goal is to grow as much money as you can, this isn't necessarily going to register as far as like, well, my no. 401k is taking losses because it's right. so you're so far removed from needing that. And to some degree, I would argue it's kind of a good thing because you're continually putting money in and getting yes. more shares for the for the same thing you were buying, you know, last month. So it volatility yeah. is actually kind of a good thing in that realm. But yeah. you know, the flip side of that is if you're all of a sudden in your late fifties and now you're thinking about retirement and now we're having one of these events, it's a whole different mindset than when you were 30 and you were just looking for growth. Well, right. But your portfolio should also have evolved along the way too, so that, so that you're not putting yourself in a bad position the way, you know, your 30 year old portfolio might've had too much volatility for your 50 year old portfolio. So, you know, that's part of the, uh, part of the strategy too, that has nothing to do with what the market's doing on a day-to-day basis, just the natural evolution of where you're at in life and how your finances should adjust. Part of that though, you know, maybe, maybe the next place to go with this conversation is to talk about a few proactive things that you can do during times like this that don't involve selling all your stock holdings Instead, quite the opposite. Like you said in your four hundred one k, this this might be one of those times that's an opportunity. And if you can, if you're if you're in saver mode rather than spending mode, you know, if you can if you can increase your four hundred one k or increase your IRA contributions or your Roth IRA contributions in a time like this, that that can pay off because you're buying the market when it's less expensive, and the market will bounce back as as the risk changes. So take advantage of that. The other thing that that we do is regularly rebalance client portfolios. And so if you're not adding to your portfolio, one way to take advantage of the volatility is to rebalance, which means moving back to your target allocations. We've talked about this many times in the past, but if you're if you just imagine two investments in your portfolio, stocks and bonds, and say, in January, you set them at 50% each and the stock markets dropped and the bond markets pretty much stayed put. You know, you might be at 45% stock now and 55% bonds. Go ahead and, and, and shuffle some money from bonds to stocks back to bring yourself back to those targets. And you're effectively buying low and selling high. Yeah, absolutely. Great suggestions there. And, you know, this it, it comes down to coming back to, you know, just having a well-balanced overall personal mm-hmm. financial plan. And we made it 20 minutes, Dave. But, you know, if, if, you, if you have an emergency fund and you have cash yeah. set aside, this is a great time because, you know, if you don't or if you aren't relying on taking money out of investments, or even if you are, but you have an emergency fund and you can kind of peel back some of that or maybe not take that trip or, you know, there's a lot of different personal things that you can do, but the work needed to be done, you know, two, three, four, five years ago to get yourself in that position of 
being solid, not needing to take money right. out of the investments when you, you know, other than normal distributions, having that emergency fund, right. having extra cash. Um, those are all things that if you did previously, you're in a pretty good spot. If you haven't, yeah. now's the time to start thinking about how do we set those things up. Yeah. And you know, to kind of kind of bring that home, what's one of the first things we ask a client in a meeting? What do you foresee spending needs for the next, you know, 18 to 36 months? And where do you, you know, where's that money coming from? And do we need to, you know, think about that in terms of the portfolio? Because we're not going to know in the short run. We need to think strategically ahead of time. A, a couple other proactive things you can do. You know, if you have an after-tax account, you can always look and see if there are things you can sell at a loss and replace with other similar investments so that you, you can offset gains later on, you know, tax loss harvesting. We're not there yet, but if in extreme, you know, when the market gets extremely oversold, if you were planning to do a Roth uh, conversion during the year, that's a good time to consider doing that because you'd like to have the recovery happen in the Roth. Those are other things we can talk about. Yeah, more, you know, more great suggestions. And I, you know, it really does. It's funny because, you know, the last couple of years we've had conversations with people about, you know, hey, I want to, you know, we have plans to, you know, put a money down on a house, down payment, things like that. And where we're mm-hmm. actively telling people, you know, you don't want to invest that because you never know what's going to happen. And that's a hard thing to mm-hmm. swallow when the market's going up. But you know, I'm mm-hmm. sure today they're grateful that they kept that in cash and maybe they didn't earn anything, but certainly better than being down 10% right now. And so some of those decisions as well, you know, holding cash might not feel great in this low interest rate environment until all of a sudden it does. Right. Um, right. One other thing too, I wanted to bring up, Dave, is, you know, we, we talked a lot about, you know, don't, you know, hold keep doing what you're doing. Don't make any drastic changes because of the short term. But I know you and I have both walked people through when they had to, you know, when you were losing sleep over what's going on in your portfolio and you you really just can't stand it. You know, there are things that you can think about doing as kind of a last case scenario. And, and, you know, you certainly don't want to be in a mindset where your health is deteriorating and you're losing sleep over what's going on in your investments. It's not, it's not worth it to, um, really hazard, you, you know, they, I guess, you know, that speaks to where you're in the right place in the, in the originally, mm-hmm. you know, and so, so what do we, what do we do in those situations? Yeah. I mean, you have to, you have to be comfortable and you have to, you know, figure out where your comfort level lies. I mean, obviously your health is more important than your investment return. So if that means, you know, taking some, portion of your investments and putting it into cash until you are in a better spot, you know, helping people to figure out what that amount is, where they feel good about and and helping facilitate that. And then, you know, once things kind of get back to a normal or you're feeling better, then you have that conversation of, okay, let's think about where maybe I should have been in before. So I wasn't in panic mode. And then how do we kind of get you back to that point strategically? We don't want to see it come to that if we can prevent it. If, if, but it, we say it a lot, but we don't usually change strategies based on the market. We change strategies based on client needs. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when we're having those conversations, my goal would be to try to get folks comfortable with staying put as long as their needs are being met, you know, but that's, you're, you're absolutely right. If, if you're hazarding your, 
your your mental health over it, then we we do need to do something and we will. Yeah, it's it's one of those situations we talk about it a lot on this podcast. Is it the right thing to do financially based on the numbers? No. But is there occasionally a good reason for it? Yes. And so, you know, don't feel like you have to soldier on, but you haven't gotten any sleep in the last two weeks. I mean, that's not a good situation either. And, and so, you know, at some point you have to be practical about that kind of stuff. You know, the truth with asset allocation is usually somewhere in the middle. It's not one extreme or the other. And, you know, you shouldn't be all in cash and you shouldn't be all in stock for most people. So, you know, but when, when we talk to people that haven't worked to intentionally build a plan, we do see a lot of the extremes. And so I guess maybe close things out, you know, if you haven't done that kind of legwork before on your finances, this is a, this is a good time to do it. Talk to a professional, get some help, figure out what kind of asset allocation makes sense for you. And, you know, we, we talk about the two different factors there. One is, one is your mental health and what can you, what can you stomach? And the other is what kind of returns and risks do you need to take to make your plan work? And those can often be very different, but you know, if the, if the risk tolerance is low, then, and you're, and you would technically need to make more, then we need to look at other things. Like, can you save more? Can you spend less? What, what are the other levers we can pull? So that's, you know, bringing it back around to what really matters is the financial planning part is what really matters. The markets will take care of themselves over time. Yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, if you're just looking at it from the standpoint of, you know, what your investments are and what they're gaining and losing, if there's no mm-hmm. real you know, plan behind that. That's, I think a lot of times when people get into trouble, right? So if you have a plan and you know, like the, the purpose of these investments and the returns that you need to get and how that's going to allow you to be successful. And we talk about it all the time, what that means as far as, you know, making sure you're living your best life and doing the things that you want to do. That's a different conversation than just looking at a portfolio that's down 10 or 15% and going, what do I do now? Right. Because it has a purpose behind it. And one of the things that we like to do when it comes to times like this is we'll pull up the plan and we'll look at, you know, where you're at right now even though the market's down and then we can even do, you know, some what if scenarios of what if the market goes down another 10 or 15 or 20%, how does that affect your ability to do all these things that you told us are so important to you? And a lot of times I think people are surprised that it doesn't really affect their ability to do those things, which allows them to kind of stick with the plan much better than if we were just to say, Hey, your portfolio is down 10%. You lost this much money. Don't worry about it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, right. And, you know, to that point, we're in the middle of spring client reviews right now. I've pulled up in the last 10 day, 10 working days anyway, a dozen, probably 15 different plans with clients, you know, in the midst of all this, not one plan that we've looked at is really affected in terms of what we expect its outcome to be based on what's happened right now. And no, no financial plan will build a plan thinking, you know, boy, this would all work as long as we don't have a 10% downturn for a few months at some point. Right. Exactly. So, so, but you know, when you're not doing this every day, you lose sight of that. So, you know, I'm not surprised when clients expect the impact's going to have been higher than it is. And it's always a little bit rewarding to show them that your plan hasn't changed. And, 
you know, we're still fine. We can still, you know, pay the bills and do the gifting you wanted to do or whatever that strategy is. And this, it's not great, but you know, we don't like to go through these things, but we expect it It's part of the game. Yeah. So absolutely. So true. As always, if you have questions about the market or your portfolios or what's going on, we would love your questions. You can email us at info at srbadvisors.com. We're going to plug these charts into the show notes today, as long with our market volatility survival guide. So if you're interested in checking those out, check out our website and the show notes for this episode. And with that, Dave, um, I bid you farewell and a great weekend. Have a great day. Thanks, Nick. Gather around and follow the Kitchen Table Finance Podcast to learn about money and simple ways you can invest right now. You can find more practical advice at srbadvisors.com and contact the team for personal planning by emailing info at srbadvisors.com.